0: My story begins on Halloween of 1989, when my family moved to a house out in the country. There were only four of us, mom and dad, myself, and my much younger brother. Our house was a brick ranch-style home built during the 1960s. The kitchen had a door that led down to the basement. My parents' and siblings' rooms were on the first level. Mine was in the basement. We moved in on Halloween night and we even had trick-or-treaters while we were moving stuff out of the trucks. My brother and I passed out candy, and enjoyed seeing the other kids' costumes from the neighborhood. We also took this opportunity to introduce ourselves. Later that night, when we were all sleeping, there was a sudden horrible sound. Our doorbell was being jammed, and it was making this annoying buzzing sound. It was late, and trick-or-treaters were not supposed to be out at this time. When we went to go see who it was, no one was there. This happened every night for about a week. Always after midnight, we thought it could have been some neighborhood kids pulling a prank. The same thing would happen on the next Halloween. For a week after the holiday, we woke up to the buzzing sound. My dad eventually disconnected the doorbell, and that was the end of it. Or so we thought, we began to hear someone shuffling in the hallways at night. Sometimes there would be heavy labored breathing that accompanied the disturbance. Whenever we were in the hallway, it felt like someone or something was watching us. Our family dog stopped sleeping on her dog bed in the living room and began to sleep in the kitchen doorway instead. Every morning we would find the rug folded into a neat square with our dog resting her head on it. It was weird. But we would brush it off and joked about what a smart dog we had. We lived in that house from 1989 to 1995. My parents owned another home in a different state but we couldn't move until they sold off our current house which took many years. Before we left that place Things progress to hearing our names being called, heavy objects disappearing then reappearing in random places, and hearing the shuffling and breathing every night. Here are some of the other things that my mom has experienced. She claims to have seen the apparition of a child in my brother's room while he was at daycare. During nights, she would sometimes feel her blankets being lifted off of her. She has felt something sit on her bed, But when she wakes up to see what it is nothing was there as for me i've heard my name being called out whenever i was home alone some of my belongings have disappeared and never turned up again my dad's wallet disappeared for about two weeks before it turned up in a very obvious place we wouldn't have missed when we were searching the house for it when we finally didn't move out of there i was grateful to be rid of that place None of us ever spoke about the experiences we had while we were living there, all agreeing that if we acknowledged it, things would only escalate. We received a call a few weeks later from the new tenants. They were asking my mom about a box of important documents. It was normally kept in the upstairs office. They eventually found it inside of the unfinished bathroom in the basement. We never stored anything in that room, for obvious reasons. Many people who hear stories about haunted houses often say, why didn't you guys just leave? As someone who is in this situation myself, people usually can't for various reasons and we have to learn to live with it. Humans have a knack for making just about anything seem normal. Our old house was eventually condemned because of toxic molds growing in the basement along with a gas leak from the poor septic system. Combined with exposed wiring in the ceilings. I feel like we could contribute some of the visual and auditory hallucinations to the exposure of toxic fumes. But that still doesn't explain the missing items. Perhaps that whatever was there was trying to warn us that if we stayed, we probably would have ended up contracting some kind of deadly disease. They say that Halloween is when the barrier between the living and the dead is the thinnest which would explain why these strange occurrences always happened on that night. I'm still left with a lot of questions, but I'll never forget living in that strange place.
1: I feel cliche calling this my Halloween story, but all these events transpire between multiple days leading up to Halloween. I'll first admit that I wasn't a great older brother growing up, My brother and I are best friends now, close as can be, but in elementary school, we endured a stint of hating each other's guts. I'm a couple of years older than him, so this would be sometime around when I was in 6th grade and my brother was in 4th grade. His name is Chris, and that's how I will reference him from now on. Mid-October, late 1990s, Chris and I are in the McDonald's drive-thru with our mom. Our happy meals are handed to us, and we each get a Halloween plastic bucket. I get the ghost, and Chris gets the pumpkin. He doesn't want the pumpkin because he thinks the face is scary. Being the brother I am, I decide to taunt him with the bucket and belittle his feelings. He cries, and I'm scolded for my antics, but as my mom turns to yell at me, she doesn't notice the car in front of her has stopped, and she rear-ends the end of the truck in front of us. The man gets out and he's not really upset, even though there's now a pretty good ding in his rear bumper. He looks in the car and smiles at us. As he leans near the driver's window, he speaks kindly with my mom and asks our names while exchanging information with my mom before getting back into his truck. When the man in front leaves the parking lot, he takes a left. We make a right. My mom was a little shaken up, but not enough to direct her straight back toward me. My head is against the passenger window and I'm still looking into the rearview mirror on my door. I notice the white Toyota make a U-turn and start to follow our car. My mom is still pissed at us, so I hold my tongue for the moment. She doesn't notice yet, but the white Toyota stays behind us for quite some time, only abandoning the pursuit when we pulled into our neighborhood. Days pass and the event becomes a forgotten blip as the excitement for Halloween ramps up. My mom spent more time we could appreciate stitching together the cat dog costume we'd been wearing that night. If you don't know Cat Dog, it was an American cartoon where the main characters are, as you would probably guess, a cat and a dog, but they're Siamese twins, so my brother and I were attached via a big fabric tube sewn to our backs. This was our first Halloween without our mom, and she was more than delighted to make a costume that would force me to keep an eye on my brother. As the sun sets, we're at the door. The fabric tube bends enough for us both to walk side by side, but for comfort, I make my brother walk backwards as I lead the way. There were about five houses in our little cul-de-sac loop before you'd be opposite of our house. Then we'd walk up the block and do that again, turning onto the next block, etc. I noticed an eerily familiar white truck sitting idling about 40 yards deep. The interior is dark, but I can see a red ember glow of a cigarette as well as a small exhale of smoke coming out of the driver's side window signifying that someone is there i ask my brother if he also thinks this is the same truck from the mcdonald's we spin while walking so my brother is now in front he confirms and tells me he can see the big ding our mom had left we spin back around we can still hit a couple of houses without going past the truck innocently my brother asks me if the man will ask us for money to fix the ding At the moment, at that age, I was like, oh crap, yeah, maybe he would. Before we get to the first house fence post, I see the cigarette get flicked out the window, and he's stepping out of the now illuminated truck. He pleasantly shouts our names as if running into old friends. Then he begins to walk towards us. Again I immediately advised him that our mother wasn't with us tonight and at that moment and age, even worse, I follow up with, we're all alone out here and don't have money to fix his bumper. He laughs and tells us he's not there for the money. Then he spins a fictional tale about how he's obtained too much candy tonight and needs to get rid of some, and that he didn't want it to go to waste, and remember two young men going trick-or-treating that may want some of it. I almost felt indebted to him for how cool he was being about the dent, and I think he could tell. Anyway, on the walk there I let my brother walk in front as the man tells him about the variety of sweets he'll soon have access to. With me facing the house, I notice it's pretty dead out here, and we may be the only kids on this particular street. I ask the guy, Hey, where'd you get all this candy anyway? My brother follows it up with asking if he went trick-or-treating. The man laughs, but he doesn't answer either of our questions. Instead, he opens what I assume is the truck door and tells us to hold on just one second while he grabs the candy. And just like that, I feel a strong pull of my costume. Before I can even harp on my brother for moving like an idiot, he's screaming, Let go of me, let go of me. And again, a strong pull, almost taking me to the ground. Instinctually, I pull back using my weight to pull myself forward. It's then I realize this guy has a hold of my brother. And by the sheer design of my costume my mother made, he's got a hold of me too. The man is desperately trying to silence my brother and he succeeds by putting his hand over his mouth to muffle the scream. So I took over yelling precisely what my brother was and adding, Help, he's got my brother. The man seems to grow even more frustrated and seems to pull even harder as he physically picks my brother up. The costume chokes me but doesn't rip. He's picking up and putting down my brother like a rag doll but without me budging. He can't do anything to get my brother free. I felt him try to grab at me and lift me off the ground so I spin around. I'm in the position where I'm next to my brother. I realize he can't get us both. I look the guy dead in the eyes, lean over and bite the hand he's holding over my brother's mouth as hard as I can.
0: you little motherfucker
1: he smacks my face away as he removes his hand he gets in real close and tells me to shut the fuck up or he will snap our necks my brother went cold when he said that i'll never forget it terrified i just keep screaming i'm yelling in his face and he's looking around for the first time i can see he's frantic he's attempting to cover my mouth with no success as he tries again my brother picks back up with the screaming It seems like so much happened in such a small window of time. The whole thing couldn't have lasted more than a minute, maybe two at most. Just as I start to hit this guy as hard as I can, I can hear someone, a new voice. I turn my head but can't entirely move my body due to the man's newfound grip on my costume. But then, sweet release, the man let go of our outfit. Without even a second thought, I yell at my brother to run, and we book it. Looking back only once, I could see the truck taking off in the opposite direction but I can also see a group of neighbors standing there where we were, more coming out of their houses and some calling out to us. We don't stop and we ran all the way home, but not before going inside, we promised each other that we wouldn't tell our mom what happened. Why? We feared that we would never be able to trick or treat again. For some reason, we thought we would be the ones in trouble for almost getting kidnapped, which I guess messed us up for quite some time. As a kid, you know, you can only feel safe in so many areas. So, be careful, you know? Watch your kids and stuff, because you never know who might be out there also watching them.
0: This happened when I was 11 years old. I was trick-or-treating with two of my friends, who I will call Tom and Jerry. It was towards the end of the night, and most of the trick-or-treaters had already gone home. We decided to hit one more house before calling it a night. The house that we stopped at looked like it had been abandoned for years, but there was a lit jack-o'-lantern on the front steps, so against our better judgement, we decided to proceed. There were a bunch of scratch marks all over the front door, but before we could knock, we heard a loud scream coming from inside the house. It didn't sound like a distorted scream from a Halloween decoration it sounded like a genuine scream of terror. The door then slowly creaked open, and a decrepit hand emerged from the darkness, reaching out for us. We then heard what sounded like a witch's laugh. (laughs) My friends and I fled from the house, hearing footsteps running behind us and a haunting voice calling out, Come and get your candy, my children. We ran all the way back to Tom's house. We had no idea if we were still being followed. Jerry and I decided to stay the night because we didn't want to risk going back out again. (laughs) I woke up at around 2 a.m. and I heard that same laughter. I looked over and I saw something smeared across the bedroom window. I woke up Tom, and he looked. Um, it looks like an egg. Thinking that someone was egging his house, me and him went downstairs, and immediately noticed that one of the windows that faced the street was broken. Tom's parents weren't home at the time. Jerry then came rushing down the stairs. What's happening, guys? I heard someone laughing outside. From outside the door, we then heard someone say,
1: You forgot your candy, my children.
0: We all then rushed to the nearest window and saw a deranged looking woman grabbing a pumpkin from Tom's front porch and then hurling it at the door. The insane woman started screaming like a mental patient. Ah! as she ran to the front door and started banging and kicking on it. We fled the house through the back door and made our way to my house, which was only down the block. We woke up my dad, and after telling him what was going on, he called the cops. The police arrived a short time later, but they did not find the crazy woman. The day after all this happened, November 1st, Tom called me.
1: Hey, man, that crazy lady left some candy on the back porch, and there was a note that said I should eat it. My parents took it to the police station, and they found a bunch of thumbtacks in all the candies. I also overheard the cops talking to my parents, and I heard something about finding dead bodies in that old creepy house we were at last night.
0: The next Halloween, we saw that same house being torn down. Apparently in the basement of the house, they found a bunch of knives, ropes, and tapes... That crazy woman wasn't found until two years later. Apparently, she had been living in the woods behind that house. To everyone out there listening, please be safe this Halloween and always check your candy. So I'll start off by saying that this isn't a creepy pasta. It might come off like one because I'm an amateur writer of fiction. However, this story is about the terrible truth regarding psychic abilities. If this is a topic that doesn't interest you and you immediately click away, I can't exactly blame you for doing so. However, I need you to trust me when I say that this story will not be what you expect. I share most of the same opinions when someone claims to have psychic abilities. Staring into crystal balls and palm readings are schemes to make money, and anyone who claims that they can communicate with the dead are not only bad actors, but are also pretty sick for preying on people's desperate desire to speak to their lost loved ones. As far as I'm concerned, there is no human being alive that has the ability to talk to the dead. A friend of mine once told me that you couldn't just pick up some magical phone and call the afterlife.
1: If someone has not moved on, it's like they're stuck in an endless fog, and when they finally encounter someone who can see them, well, they may have been lost for so long that they can't remember what they wanted to say.
0: I'll be the first to admit, there are a lot of bullshit artists out there, but I refuse to allow them to define what I am. I am a person who possesses psychic abilities. It's not something that I'm ashamed of, and I hope to dispel some of the misconceptions that you may have about this topic. Having these powers comes at a cost. Most of us end up in a psych ward. That's the ugly truth about these abilities. If you don't have the mental constitution to deal with seeing and hearing horrific projections in your day-to-day life, then you are destined to spend the rest of your days on medication, staring at a padded wall. I am one of the lucky ones, I suppose. I'm in my mid-30s and I've come to terms with my condition. I will never call this a gift. Gifts are supposed to bring joy to your life, not add even more turmoil to it. Let me clarify something before we get into this. I am not special and I am not looking for sympathy, nor am I trying to lecture you. Everyone has problems that they deal with. Mine just happens to be a bit different than most. I feel like I'm rambling though. Let's start from the beginning. The first time my abilities came to me was when I was about seven. My mother had taken me to the doctor's office because I was having these awful stomach pains. I remember being in the waiting room, reading a magazine, when my mother got up to use the restroom. There was a man and a young girl. Sitting in the rows of chairs across from me, there were the only other ones in the waiting room. The girl looked to be around my age, maybe a tad older. She was wearing jean overalls over a hot pink shirt with a matching ribbon in her hair. The girl was staring at the ground as she swung her feet back and forth. She was slightly leaning forward, with her hands to her sides so that she could watch her shoes disappear, then reappear under the chair. The man who sat next to her was slouched, with both elbows slumped on the armrests. He seemed to be making himself at home. The man had a facial scruff that was about two or three months away from blooming into a proper beard. His left hand was slowly stroking his chin fuzz, the way someone does when they're in deep thought. His eyes were fixated on the girl next to him. That's when a cacophony of noise and static attacked my eardrums. It sounded like a chorus of murmuring whispers, followed shortly by a loud voice that sounded like it came from someone who smoked 30 packs of cigarettes a day. She's going to get it when we get back home. Oh yes, Kathy doesn't get off until 6. Today will be a good day. She'll get it today. And maybe she'll even enjoy it." I placed my hands over my ears and winced. The man's lips didn't move, but his eyes were still fixed on the girl next to him. The man must have noticed me gawking at him with my hands over my ears. His eyes then focused on me. "'What the fuck are you looking at, you little shit?' At the time, I was too young to put into words the look I saw in the man's eyes. But now that I'm older, I can say with a certain clarity that I was looking into the eyes of a predator. The stranger's lips did not move. He just sat there, stroking his chin. I suddenly felt sick to my stomach, and I quickly got up and left the waiting room. I could feel the man's eyes burning holes in my back as I exited, almost tripping over a bead maze that I was too distracted to see. 30 seconds later I was hunched over puking into a toilet I then saw something a scenario playing itself out in my head but it was perfectly visible to me my mother confronted the man in the waiting room which sent him into a ballistic rage he then pulled out a knife and stabbed her in the throat I then saw him holding the young girl in the overalls at knife point as two police officers pointed their guns at him. Something was trying to tell me that if I said anything about this to my mom, there would be big trouble for everyone in that waiting room. So I ended up telling her that I was just having stomach problems, which wasn't exactly a lie. This would be the first of many times that I would have these kinds of visions. Not always, but from time to time, Whenever somebody around me has a negative thought, I can hear it, clear as day. It always comes as a loud voice accompanied by several other ones that sound like they're off in the distance. Over the years, I've accepted the interpretation that someone is never really thinking about just one thing, and for a brief moment, I catch a glimpse into their mind. I've been on bus rides, elevators, and movie theaters where I suddenly jump up out of nowhere and cover my ears because someone nearby is thinking about killing their neighbor with a sledgehammer. I then have to find the nearest trash can or bathroom to vomit. It's made for some pretty awkward moments in my life. But I often think back to that first experience I had in the waiting room. That man, who I assume was the father of the girl in the overalls was having some very disturbing thoughts that day. I can't help but thinking that if I had said something, I could have helped that girl out in some way. God only knows what took place in her home, behind closed doors. That is something that still haunts me to this day. I hope you can see why I don't call my ability a gift, It comes and goes as it pleases, shattering any chance of me having my own television show. There is only one other experience that I've had that involves premonitions of the future, and they started when I was about 10. I used to sleep on this twin-sized bed that had these wooden bedposts sticking up at each corner. It looked like something straight out of the 1930s. At the end of the post were these decorative spheres with hand-carved patterns in them. Hours after being tucked in one night, I was woken up by the sound of screeching tires, followed by the unmistakable sound of a car slamming into another. The disturbance sounded as if it was happening in my bedroom. We lived in a rather quiet neighborhood. But I suppose it was possible that a car accident could happen outside my house. But even so, it would not have been this loud. I looked around my room and saw nothing. There was a nightlight situated by my bedroom door, so it wasn't completely dark. But the way my bed was positioned made it so that the wooden footboard partially blocked the light and made the bedposts look like castle spires. The sphere at the end of the bedpost nearest to the nightlight was much bigger than it should have been. It looked like it was about three times its normal size. As my eyes adjusted, I saw that what was mounted on the bedpost was definitely not a decorative wooden sphere. It had long hair that dangled from its sides and shredded tissue hanging from its neck. After coming to this realization, I heard a repulsive gurgling sound. It was the sound that only a disembodied head could make when it's gasping for breath into a pair of lungs that weren't there i raced out of my bedroom screaming after my parents calmed me down they agreed to let me sleep with them for the rest of that night For years, I actually believed that it was just a really bad nightmare, even when the same horrible dream happened several other times well into my teenage years. I would wake up to the sound of a car crash in my room, followed by the unpleasant gurgling sound. This repeated to the point where it became routine for me. By the time I was 17, it was more of an annoyance than a nightmare. I thought this might have had something to do with my ability to listen in on the nasty thoughts that strangers have sometimes, like a side effect or something. However things would become clear after I graduated high school. I had a girlfriend named Samantha and we were both a couple of goth kids fresh out of high school. We got so bored in our little Kansas town. That we would spend entire nights just driving around and smoking cigarettes in Sammy's grand marquee she inherited from her grandmother. There was a light drizzle out one night and we were on our way back from having sex at this old rundown house by the woods. It's the truth we were teenagers at the time. We were heading down a long dark highway that led back into town. As we approached a stoplight A song called Saturday Night by the Misfits came over the car's radio, and Sammy and I began singing together like a couple of dorks. The light turned green, and Sammy eased the marquee into the intersection, still singing.
1: You go viciously, quietly away, I'm sitting in the bedroom. I used to sit and smoke cigarettes. I'm watching, watching you die.
0: The car was suddenly sent sideways as a truck slammed into us, going at least 50 miles per hour. The driver's side door was smashed in and the car was dragged across the intersection. The last thing I remember was the headlights of the truck blinding me before I blacked out. I woke up to the sight of shattered glass on my lap and a sharp pain was shooting up my side. I tried to say something, but the only thing that came out of my mouth was blood. After about five minutes, I was finally able to gather the strength to raise my head and look out of the shattered windshield. I began to hyperventilate the moment i saw it a severed head of a man was lying on the hood of the marquee it had long dark hair that dangled over the face but the mouth was still visible i am not sure how long brain activity goes on for after someone has been decapitated but i swear to you this man's mouth was moving (gasps) It was almost as if he was trying to say something, but he was just making this awful, gurgling sound. I screamed, sending more pain shooting up my side. I then passed out. I woke up several days later in the hospital. My left arm along with three of my ribs were broken. I was also recovering from a severe concussion where my head smacked into the passenger side window. It turns out that a drunk driver had slammed into us and pinned our car to an electrical pole just off the old highway. The force of the impact had broken Sammy's neck and she died before the ambulance arrived. I was the sole survivor of the crash. It was about a week before I could properly speak again. I remember a detective coming into my hospital room to get my side of the story. There were no cameras at that particular intersection and the only other people involved in the crash were dead. The first question I asked the detective was if the truck driver had been decapitated. I wanted to make sure what I saw before I passed out was real and not some delusion brought on by blunt force trauma. The detective was hesitant at first, but explained to me that the truck that hit us was carrying sheets of scrap metal. They determined that when the truck pinned the car to the electrical pole, one of these pieces of metal somehow launched itself through the truck's back window, severing the driver's head. I dealt with severe depression after the crash. Sammy was gone. That was a tough pill to swallow at 17 this entire ordeal made me grow up very quickly it took me a few years but i eventually moved on with my life leaving that small kansas town behind me forever to wrap up the story i'll say that i'm not arrogant enough to suggest that the effects that my abilities have on me are true for all psychics i just find it insulting that some very special people out there desperate for attention have made such a mockery of us. The truth is that I've met some people who have some marginal control over their abilities, but for the most part they have to cope with seeing and hearing things that normal people can't. And sometimes what we see can be truly terrifying. Thank you for your time.
1: Oh boy, shit! You fucking
0: ho-dunk, ho-dunk, well then they're motherfuckers!